You're listening to WGDR Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick Community Radio from Goddard College. I listen when I'm naked. This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDR. I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. Lying on your back in the grass, you can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky, a few cotton-wool clouds, and higher in the great dome of the sky, filling it with sound. Higher and higher, filling it with sound. Filling it with sound. They sound quite mad, don't they? It's a story, but that's why I'm here, to tell you stories. It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? It's beautiful. God, it's God. I say God. How do you like that? Why, it's preposterous. Thank you very much. Put your seatbelts on because you're in for a howling ride. I am a narrator, the voice that guides the blind, following up with your ears, but your mind, and allow me to take you back and forth through time to explain the significance of things you may think insignificant now, but won't further down the line. Today, a show on dreaming and a dreamy audio collage. My guest is Sivia Gover. She's the director of the Institute for Dream Studies, and she's the author of a wonderful new book, The Mindful Way to a Good Night's Sleep, How to Use Dream Work, Meditation, and Journaling to Sleep Deeply and Wake Up Well. Hi, Sivia. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I really, really enjoyed your book. I'm so glad to hear it. I've had some experience doing dream work and a lot of experience with meditation, and I really loved the book a lot. I mean, it was very clear, simple, practical, and so easy to read and so easy to apply everything in it. 
Well, that's a great endorsement, especially from somebody who values dreams and meditation. And I had a wonderful week of dreaming while I was reading the book. Ah, <laughs> that's great. So it inspired some dreams. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love to hear that. Every night, I do a lot of my reading at night, right before bed, yeah. in bed. So I'm just primed and ready to go. So I was really looking forward to dreaming while I was reading the book. That's wonderful. And it just shows you, doesn't it, how, you know, really easy it can be to cultivate a beautiful dream life. It's just that little bit of showing your dreams you're interested and putting that suggestion in your head. It goes a long way, doesn't it? It sure does. And it makes me want to just go back to bed and dream again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exactly right. I say that to people, you know, when they ask me what's the connection between sleep and dreams. And I say, you know, so many of us have trouble sleeping or motivating ourselves to get to bed, but dreams themselves can be the incentive. And there are cultures and traditions that talk about what we call waking life to be the dream and and the dream world to be even more real than, than this world. That's exactly right, yeah. And the dreams can teach us so much about how to wake up into our everyday lives, so... You know, the conversation that we're having right now is just the kind of thing that I want people to start thinking about. For a lot of people, they're not even remembering their dreams yet. So what we're saying is, you know, like light years away from what their experience is. But interestingly, you know, just by putting a little bit of time and attention into the project of, you know, reconnecting with our sleep and dreams, they can be experiencing some of these things you're talking about. Yeah, and I think a lot of people in our culture probably dismiss dreams as being essentially irrelevant to right. our quote-unquote real world. So, yeah, it, it makes me so sad, but it's true. And it's so hard for me to understand because, you know, ever since I was a young girl, four years old, I was remembering my dreams, and I just, I didn't get the message from anywhere in the outside, but... Somehow I knew how important they were, and I didn't lose that connection. But like you're saying, in our culture, for the most part, people dismiss dreams and look at them as mystifying, frustrating, or downright useless. And um, Or maybe terrifying. I think terrifying. you need a little bit of dream literacy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and to begin with, what is the value of our dreams, and what can we gain from working with our dreams? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the value of our dreams, you know, some of it is subjective, but objectively we can say, and science has shown us, that dreams help us with emotional regulation and they help us with memory consolidation. So right there, whether you're remembering your dreams or not, and everybody is dreaming, uh, everybody dreams several times a night, But whether or not you're remembering them, they are working for you. When you do remember them, the value increases because studies have shown and many of us have anecdotal evidence to the fact that when we do some dream work, meaning we turn toward our dreams, we write them down, reflect on them, maybe talk about them with either a therapist or even just a patient and curious uh, friend who will listen to us, we get insights. We get insights into our lives, sometimes problems that we're facing or creative blocks. 
all these things can be helped and solved in our dreams and our dream work, as well as healing, um, healing of emotional wounds and sometimes even healing uh, on the physical level. Well, how does that work? I can just imagine people just listening to what you just said and being really skeptical. Yeah. So let's take it piece by piece. So in terms of emotional healing, I think that's one thing that we're a little more used to hearing people talk about that maybe in therapy, a therapist has asked them or a family member about dreams and, you know, the dreams show us information from our subconscious mind that maybe gives us hints or direction about how we can better work with an emotional issue or face an emotional problem through the symbolism and metaphor in the dreams. In terms of creativity, we see that all the time as well. You know, there are a lot of famous songs, uh, Let It Be, for example, from the Beatles that came through in dreams and a lot of Billy Joel's songs and great works of art and poetry that have come through dreams. So we can see how they help with creativity. Uh, That's pretty clear. And then there are a lot of stories about people who have gotten some message in their dream about a physical ailment that the doctor maybe overlooked, and sometimes the information they got in the dream is what prompts them to seek further medical attention or another opinion and often will save their life. That's a dramatic example, but there are more everyday examples of that sort of thing as well. I've heard that scientists have found that people who are deprived of the ability to dream gradually go insane, and that there's something fundamental to being able to dream that helps keep us sane. Yes. It's so interesting, isn't it? And there's so much mystery still. Science hasn't been able to pinpoint exactly what it is. You know, I mentioned a couple of the things science does know, but there's still a lot of mystery. So why is dream so integral to us as human beings? And when you think of it, this whole project of sleep and dreams seems almost counter to our evolutionary well-being. You know, in order to sleep, our senses are muted. Our bodies are temporarily paralyzed. That's a natural and healthy thing that happens when we sleep. That's so we don't end up hurting ourselves or somebody else by acting out our dreams. And we're very vulnerable when we sleep. So you wonder why would nature build this into our very beings? And then dreaming is about a quarter of our time asleep, if not more. And so, again, the brain is more active when we're asleep and dreaming than it is awake. So you have to ask yourself, why would the body and mind be designed this way if not for some important purpose? I can't think of any other system in our bodies that's so evolved and essential that doesn't have a purpose. So for me, that just gives me more confidence that dreams are valuable and essential to our lives. And they can be a lot of fun. And you write about sleep and how the realm of the night is like, you know, going on a journey and entering into an adventure. And and that it's really important to approach it that way and to prepare for it in that way. That's exactly right. One way I like to look at it is like going into a multiplex you know, one of those movie theaters with a million different screens, and I've bought a ticket, but I don't know for which one. So I do believe that it is an adventure and that 
first and foremost thing we should do when we've had a dream. People always ask me, what does it mean? And what do I do with the dream? How do I analyze it? And I definitely love to do that with people. But first, I always say, just experience it. Just what does it make you feel? What was it like? What did you see? What did you hear? So first, just to receive, so to speak, the experience. But then, yeah, in terms of preparation, that's where this mindfulness approach comes in. So to approach bedtime as an experience, we're moving into literally another dimension. So to do it mindfully and to set our intentions to have a good night's sleep, if it's part of your spiritual practice, to say a prayer, it's a beautiful way to connect with the divine within and and just create a positive intention for the time you're going to spend asleep and dreaming. And all these things affect the quality of our sleep and dreams and the experience we're going to have. Getting back to the dreams and the way to approach them, it sounds like you're saying not to overthink them, to really go with, I don't know if going with our gut is exactly the right approach to it, but going with our first impression, our first feeling or sense about it and trusting that? Well, definitely trusting that. You know, people often think that you need an expert to understand your dreams. And I like to remind them that they are your dreams. You know, this dream came specifically to you, only to you. And it came sort of clothed in the imagery and memory from your life and the associations from your life. So in that respect, yes, first just, you know, look at it, enjoy it, have faith that it's your dream and that you will get from it what you need. On the other hand, I think I could easily be accused of overthinking dreams. I love to think about them, go back to them again and again. I love to use different dream techniques on even the same dream and see what it has to offer because I find that dreams are multi-layered. They're very rich. So they might have some information for us at the literal level, some information for us at the metaphorical level, at the spiritual level. You know, there's so many ways to look at a dream. So yeah, I think I advocate both, you know, going with your gut. And if you want to really just delve in and explore it, you know, go for it. And as you said, for most of us, dreams can be really difficult to remember. They tend to evaporate with the light. But there are some dreams that stay with us, perhaps for our entire lives. Exactly. And those are the dreams that Carl Jung would have called a big dream. And again, just as I was just saying, those are dreams that they're memorable, they're impactful, you know, They feel like a real experience. You wake up from it and you're just sometimes dazzled or awed by it. And I find dreams like that we can come back to throughout our lives and look at it when we're in different stages of our life and learn even more from it each time. Just like rereading a great book, Mm -hmm. right? Each time you read it, you find something new in it. And those dreams, by the way, I think it's important since we're having this wonderful deep conversation about dreams... I like to remind people that sometimes dreams have messages, not just for ourselves personally, but for our family, our friends, our community, the world even, meaning that, you know, dreams have collective meaning as well as individual meaning too. So it's nice to share these big dreams with other people. Sometimes they'll find inspiration in them, meaning in them. So, 
you know, not to be too selfish with our dreams. If we've got a big, beautiful dream, share it. Let people know about it. And speaking of sharing dreams, this isn't exactly a dream, but, but there's sort of a dream-like quality to this. You quote a Rilke poem, You, darkness of whom I'm born, I love you more than the flame that limits the world to the circle it illuminates. That's such a fascinating way of looking at our relationship with light and dark. And I'm just going to repeat it again because I love it so much. And I think there's, there's some wonderful things to unpack from it. You, darkness of whom I'm born, I love you more than the flame that limits the world to the circle it illuminates. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned that particular quote, you know, quote various poems and uh, bits of literature and philosophy throughout the book. And Rilke has so much beautiful writing about the darkness and mysteries. And in general, poetry and dreams go together so well because they're both trying to grapple with things that are beyond our conscious understanding to some extent. So when Rilke is talking about darkness there and seeing the light as the thing that limits, you know, we're, we're used to the opposite, right? Exactly. Light's going to illuminate. Mm-hmm. But that there's, the darkness is so deep and literally profound and full of mystery and riches. And yeah, that poem is sort of a love song to that darkness. Mm-hmm. And we avoid darkness so much in our lives on so many different levels. Nighttime, we light up our world's such an extent that we we sort of banish the darkness from our lives metaphorically and literally and it's a real loss and we tend to avoid or are afraid of and distrust the unknown the the mysteries exactly you know people ask me why are we having this epidemic of insomnia in our culture and this conversation that we're having points to the deeper you know we can easily blame technology and and certainly technology affects and hampers us in our our desire for a good night's sleep but what's underneath that why are we distracting ourselves why are we always plugging ourselves in and why are we avoiding bedtime basically as a culture because sleep and dreams require stillness quiet darkness and they invite us into a mystery something we can't answer all the questions about and As a culture, we tend to be uncomfortable with that. And it also requires us to be willing to surrender to that Mm -hmm. darkness and that unknown. And that can be difficult for some people. And there's a wonderful section in the book titled Parts of Myself, where you talk Mm -hmm. about how there are many different parts of ourselves within us and that we really need to learn to listen to them all. And I'm wondering, in the context of this book and dreams and, and all we're talking about, how can we do that? And what are the consequences of not doing it? Mm, that's a great question. It's a big question, and, and I think it's so important. So what you're talking about is, in the book, I talk about how one way we can look at a dream is to look at each part of the dream as a part of ourselves. And that's a great dream work technique, and it can help us sort of, in a sense, open up the dream to find out what message it might have for us, give us a new way of seeing things. 
But when you think about it, we're doing really profound work when we see everything in a dream as a part of ourself because we can see that the person chasing us in the dream, the person we've labeled as the enemy in the dream, maybe is a part of ourself that needs our attention, that needs something from us, or that we've relegated to the quote-unquote shadows that now is going to get our attention whether we like it or not. So when we're awake, we do something similar in that you know, you'll notice you, there might be somebody in the room that you just can't stand. They just rub you the wrong way. You can't stand them. And you think, oh, that's an objective reality. That person's just nasty. But then you realize somebody else is in love with that person. So really when what you're seeing in the person that irritates you is most likely something that you're uncomfortable about inside yourself on some level. It's much easier for us to see that in the dream than awake. But I feel like when we do dream work at this level over time, we'll start to realize that it applies awake, too. It's a classic case of projection. I project something from myself that I repress, reject, or don't like, and I project it onto you, and then I say, I don't like you, right? Mm -hmm. In dream work, that's sort of the ABCs of dream work. That's how we work with the dreams. Advanced dream work is we start to realize that that's true of our lives awake, too. Yes. And that is can cause some profound healing and you know, if you think of it on the big scale, it can change our individual lives and our collective experience, too. It kind of changes our life from being like a, a billiard ball just bouncing around at random to being consciously self-determinate in the world, in, at least in terms of how yeah. we respond to things that are happening in our life. Exactly. In fact, it's the difference between reacting, and that's that billiard ball, or... You know, I talk in the book about that pinball getting just slapped around and then the difference between that and responding. So when you're more aware of what's going on inside of you, why are you having that emotional reaction? Why are you having that strong, you know, repulsion? When you start to be aware of what's going on inside of you rather than just have a knee-jerk reaction, you really can reflect and respond and you have a whole different experience of life that's usually a lot more harmonious and joyful and meaningful. Yeah, well, I think that from my experience, that happens very naturally when you realize that all your troubles are not coming from out there. They're really coming right. from inside. It's an inside job, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So another thing that you stress in the book is the importance and the magic of writing down our dreams. Mm. So why... Why is that such an important part of working with our dreams? Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. For one thing, why would writing our dreams be so important? Now, dreams have been around for a lot longer than writing. So you don't have to write down your dreams. You know, writing is a relatively new technology. If you think, you know, something that old is new. But when you look at all of human history, it's relatively um, new technology. So dreaming happened before writing. So obviously we can dream without writing them down. But the part of our brain that we use when we're asleep and dreaming is in a way illiterate, meaning, you know, outside of reading and writing. It's uh, an older part of our brain that predates all of that. But when we write something down, we're engaging another part of our minds. We're engaging this newer, more logic and order part of our mind. So it's almost like 
we're bringing together all the parts of ourselves when we engage in writing down a dream. That's my theory, anyway, as to why insights just pop when you write down a dream. So I use an example in the book of I had a dream one night that I was lost and I was looking for a restaurant in my neighborhood, a restaurant that I actually go to in Waking Life or used to when it was here. And it seemed like such a mundane dream. I almost didn't write it down, but I was committed at that time to writing my dreams every night no matter what. So I write the dream down, and as I'm writing it, I write down the, the name of the restaurant. It's a Japanese restaurant called Zen Restaurant. So I write down in my journal, I am lost and looking for Zen, meaning Zen Restaurant. And the minute I wrote that line down, this dream I thought was mundane and not even worth remembering, all of a sudden the meaning just popped into my mind. I had to laugh. I was so busy at that time. I was so frantically going from one thing to another but the dream was telling me I was lost inwardly, and I was looking for, I was in need of Zen, you know, that empty aesthetic, emptying the mind that Zen calls up for me. So writing the dream, it just is a way of getting a new perspective, employing all parts of our mind, and it's amazing how sometimes that simple act will unlock the meaning of the dream, and you don't need to do anything else. A whole brain approach to dreams. Yes, thank you, exactly. So you also talk about transcendent dreams and lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. What are transcendent dreams and what do they have to offer us? Yeah, so you mentioned some of what transcendent dreams are about earlier when you talked about those big dreams. So by transcendent, I mean something that goes beyond the everyday, something that might even go beyond our individual self. So some examples, when you dream about somebody who's passed on and you have the real visceral feeling that you actually visited with that person, that it wasn't, quote, just a dream, or sometimes you might dream something and then it actually happens in waking reality. That's the kind of extraordinary or transcendent dream. So one thing I really like to reassure people, because a lot of people get scared when they have that kind of dream. It doesn't go along with any of the rules of the known universe, and so it scares them. And sometimes they think it means there's something wrong with them. So first and foremost, I like to empower people to know that most people have had some kind of transcendent dream at some time in their life, and there's no need to be afraid of them or to think it means there's something wrong with you. In fact, it's a great gift. But that said, I, I treat those dreams in some ways the way I treat any dream, which is all the things that we've been talking about, is to take some time to just feel into it and experience it, to ask questions of it and of ourselves. Why do I think this dream came to me now? It's trying to help me in some way, you know, to look at it in all the same ways, uh, both on the literal and symbolic levels, and to cherish it. So when we pay attention to our dreams and we show respect for them, are we telling ourselves something important? Like, are we, are we sending an important message to our subconscious mind? Yeah, we sure are. We sure are. We're showing our subconscious mind that we are paying attention, that we're open to hearing the communications. And, you know, Carl Jung talked a lot about synchronicity. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start to have these so-called coincidences, he called them meaningful coincidences. And that's the kind of thing that often happens when you start paying attention to your dreams. You know, you'll 
be talking about a person that you haven't seen in 10 years and suddenly they'll contact you on Facebook or you'll bump into them on the street or in some unlikely place. Or you'll have had a dream of chickens and you live in a, you know, a suburban area where nobody has chickens and somehow, you know, you'll be behind a chicken truck in traffic, you know, whatever. These crazy things seem to happen. You know, we get more connected, I guess is what I'm saying. When we start to pay attention to our dreams, they'll open up more to us and we start to have a more open and lively connection with the world around us. Sort of a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about lucid dreaming and what we can benefit from lucid dreaming? Yeah, so lucid dreaming is a hybrid state of dreaming where you are asleep and dreaming, and yet within the dream you're aware that you are dreaming. A lot of people talk about lucid dreaming as an opportunity to control the dream. I think a more apt and helpful description is it's an opportunity to interact with and influence the dream. So, for example, you might be dreaming and suddenly notice, oh, my God, this is a dream, and you're able to hold on to that consciousness, which in and of itself is like walking a tightrope between two states of being, dreaming and being awake. And so you're able to do things in the dream that you desire. For example, you might decide you'd like to fly or visit with a famous person or a person who's passed on. And most of the time, you'll actually be able to do that, to influence the dream in that way. What is going on here is that you are in a state of consciousness where you have access to the characteristics of your waking brain, which is very good at logic, order, sequencing, things like that. And you're also having access to your creative dream state where you have heightened awareness of metaphor, heightened associative function so that you put together unusual ideas and so on. So you can imagine that this is a highly creative state of dreaming where you can get inspirations for something you're working on. You can ask your dreams questions for guidance in your life and actually get responses from deep and wise inner sources. And you can also use the state of lucid dreaming to experience life in a more lucid, meaning clear, connected, engaged, and awake way. So, yeah, we could have a whole hour-long conversation about that one, but hopefully that uh, gives people a little bit of inspiration to play around with lucid dreaming, which is something that people can learn to do. And perhaps people listening to this will say, oh, yeah, I've actually experienced that, and now I know that I can give myself the suggestion to experience it more. That's a very exciting skill that you can cultivate with dreaming. Yeah, I wish we had more time. And yeah. I was. would you be willing to do a follow-up on this at some point? Oh, I would be happy to. I have to say I've probably done about 15 radio interviews so far since about 8.30 this morning, and it's just such a delight to talk to somebody who's thinking so deeply into these questions and so willing to engage. So thank you very much. I'd be happy to come back on your show anytime. Great. I appreciate that very much, and I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I just see almost endless possibilities. of Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So, I, it truly has been a pleasure to talk to you, too. It's great to be able to go beyond some of the more basic things that, you know, are very important for people to understand, but really to delve into the possibilities. Mm -hmm. Well, again, thank you so much, and I'll be in touch. Wonderful. Take you, good care, and I hope you dream well. Thank you, and you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
And that was Sivia Gover. She's the director of the Institute for Dream Studies and the author of a wonderful new book, The Mindful Way to a Good Night's Sleep, How to Use Dream Work, Meditation, and Journaling to Sleep Deeply and Wake Up Well.
from the way we live in our consciousness, can you distinguish a conscious manifestation versus a real manifestation? Did I just create something in my head or was that actually real what I just saw? Biologically, you'll never know the difference. How do I know it's real? Well, I see it and I feel it and I smell it and I touch it. I go, yeah, go to sleep. And in your dream state, your biology will be activated by your brain. Your sensory nervous system will experience what you've already done before. And to your sleep state, can you tell if it was a real state or a dream state? Not in your sleep. Well, then how do you know if the real state you're in right now is the real state or the dream state? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Ah, the conundrum of quantum physics. We don't know where we are. Which reality are we in? You say, well, it's the one I'm biologically sensing. Biologically sensing in your dream or biologically sensing in real life? The answer is you can't tell. And that's the most exciting part. The whole conventional world of everything so ordered and regimented and understood seems to disappear in a quantum mechanical reality. Up and move beyond these tall weeds. I'm weeded as I speak, and the vibe is so deep. They told me drive slow, so I grind at a creep. The motion is forward, I'm alive and I breathe. I see and I hear and I fly in my sleep. The flight to the sound that we use to count sheep. There is no insomnia, it climbs right inside of your bed between sheets. You blink twice and then you start to doze off, embracing this moment in time. That pillow's so soft. Usually a victim of the turn tour Sleep is priceless and his dreams coming at no cost The hours spent before his preparation To focus on the answers you seek through meditation The location, the gift of the ancients Egyptian dream temples to reach your destination Patiently searching for signs as you drift Through the unknown corners of the mind 
You'll find out through practice and discipline This every night routine is more than significant Dreams running 90 minute intervals With each new layer they become more visual But the control is minimal Most of the time it's like watching a video In first person you become more certain Aware of your surroundings almost picture Perfect, perfect Relax and observe it This heavenly experience is peaked to its furthest Bursting with energy and light The colors get bright You're the king of the night Take flight, flight awake, dreaming of new dystopias to run to and hide within, and new faces to wear, and new bodies to inhabit, and new lies to guzzle. And how I love the moon, and its sheets of seeds, the moon tiding in your body, the smell of your blood breathing, and its taste in the sea in the south shining my feet, till it seemed as if they were made of dew, with pearls of huge beauty. Whilst your mouse-like breath was the hand upon my clock And one each breath I came nearer to my silly and shining end
I was in the middle of a riot in a classroom. A furious mob was raging about, throwing chairs and fighting with each other. And the Goliath among them, a huge, repulsive barbarian with a pockmarked face, had me locked in an iron grip. I was desperately trying to get away. And here I was, face to face, with as real an ogre as you'd ever want to meet. But at this point, I realized I was dreaming. Remembering what I'd previously learned from handling similar situations, I stopped struggling, because I knew that the conflict was with myself. I assumed that the ogre was a dream personification of something I wanted to deny in myself. Experience had shown me that in the dream world, at least, the best way to bring hate and conflict to an end was to love my enemies as myself. When I realized I was dreaming, I remembered all this in a flash. So, I tried to feel loving as I faced my ogre. At first, I failed completely, feeling only revulsion and disgust. My gut reaction said he was simply too ugly and barbarous to love. But I tried to ignore the image and seek love within my own heart. Finding it, I looked at my ogre in the eyes, trusting my intuition to supply the right things to say. Beautiful words of acceptance flowed out of me, and as they did, he melted into me. As for the riot, it had vanished without a trace. The dream faded, and I awoke. Some deeds. He said, 
let's set up a fort and start buying a place with beads. Just then this cop comes down the street, crazy as a loon. He throws us all in jail for carrying hoppers. Ah, oh, me, I busted out. Don't even ask me how. I went to get some help. I walked by Guernsey Cow, who directed me down to the Bowery slums, where people carried signs around saying, ban the bums. I jumped right into line saying, I hope that I'm not late. When I realized I had eaten for five days straight. For the cook, I told him I was the editor of a famous etiquette book. The waitress, he was handsome, he wore a powder blue cape. I ordered some Suzette, I said, Could you please make that crepe? Just then, the whole kitchen exploded from boiling fat. Food was flying everywhere, I left without my hat. Some bail for a rab and all the boys back in the tank. They asked me for some collateral and I pulled down my pants. They threw me in the alley when up comes this girl from France who invited me to her house. I went, but she had a friend who knocked me out and robbed my boots and I was on the street again. Could you help me out? I got some friends down the way. The man says, Get out of here, I'll tear you limb from limb. I said, You know, they refused Jesus too. He said, You're not him. Get out of here before I break your bones. I ain't your pop. I decided to have him arrested and I went looking for a cop. As he saw me leap a hot dog stand in a chariot that stood Parked across from a building advertising brotherhood I ran right through the front door like a hobo sailor does But it was just a funeral parlor and a man asked me who I was Call me if they die I shook his hand and said goodbye Ran out to the street When a bowling ball came down the road And knocked me off my feet A payphone was ringing It just about blew my mind When I picked it up and said hello This foot came through the line Make a stab at bringing back any help for my friends and Captain Arab. I decided to flip a coin like either heads or tails. But let me know if I should go back to ship or back to jail. So I parked my sailor suit and I got a coin to flip. 
Thank you. 
Did you ever hear of Mickey, how he heard a racket in the night and shouted, quiet down there, and fell through the dark, out of his clothes, past the moon, and his mama and papa sleeping tight, into the light of the night kitchen, where the bakers who bake till the dawn, so we can have the cake in the morn, mix Mickey in the batter, chanting milk, in the batter, milk in the batter, stir it, scrape it, make it, bake it. And they put that batter up to bake a delicious Mickey cake. But right in the middle of the steaming and the making and the smelling and the baking, Mickey poked through and said, I'm not the milk, and the milk's not me, I'm Mickey. So he skipped from the oven into bread dough, all ready to rise in the night kitchen. He needed punched it and pounded and pulled till it looked okay. Then Mickey and Doe was just on his way. And then the bakers ran up with a measuring cup, howling, milk, milk, milk for the morning cake. What's all the fuss? I'm Mickey the pilot. 
I get milk the Mickey way. And he grabbed the cup as he flew up. And up. And up. And over the top of the Milky Way in the night kitchen. Mickey the Milkman dived down to the bottom. Singing, I'm in the milk and the milk's in me. God bless milk and God bless me. Then he swam to the top, pouring milk from his cup into batter below. So the bakers, they mixed it and beat it and baked it. Milk in the batter, milk in the batter. We bake cake and nothing's the matter. Now Mickey in the night kitchen cried, Cock-a-doodle-doo! And slid down the side, straight into bed. Cake-free and dried. And that's why, thanks to Mickey, we have cake every morning. it for this magical mystery tour thank you so much for listening and until next time have a wonderful week and wonderful dreams